All right, the study is Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 25. I didn't see Steve. In fact, uh, <clears throat> I didn't even look to the table uh, until just a minute ago. I have a version of this that I want to read to you. Uh, it's a very difficult passage of Scripture to read and much more difficult to understand. So let's begin reading. Uh, if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 25. Now, I'm reading the Berean literal translation. Does anybody have that particular translation in hand? I didn't think so. Do you really? Well, good for you. It's one of my favorites, uh, and it is a good literal translation, and I want to read it to you. Uh, you follow as I read aloud. Now, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, Take heed lest you refuse the one speaking. For if they, Israel, did not escape, having refused the one, Moses or the voice of God either way can be understood there. I put in my notes parentheses Moses, but it can be the voice of God spoken to Moses because it's speaking about Mount Sinai. Moses divinely instructing them on earth. That's Mount Sinai when the law was given to Moses and God spoke and the mountain trembled. Much less shall we, that is present day people, escape if we turn away from the one, the Lord Jesus, who is speaking from heaven. Okay? Now let's continue. At that time, that is the time of Moses, his voice, God's voice, shook the earth. The mountain shook. But now, present day, he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but heaven as well. So Jesus says, I'm going to be shaking heaven and earth. Okay? The words once more, verse 27, signify the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that the unshakable will be the only thing that remains. Therefore, since we are at present receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be filled with gratitude and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, this passage of Scripture, you know the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew people who had become believers and were now struggling with, well, should we go on in this new message of Christ as the Messiah, or should we return to the old Mosaic ways? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't go back. Let's keep on going forward in the message that we've received, the message of Christ as the Messiah. And what he's saying is, when the old covenant was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, man did it shake that mountain. When the new covenant was given through the Lord Jesus, it shook not only the earth, but heaven too. And he established the new covenant, the new kingdom, Jesus did. And that kingdom, that covenant is unshakable. Now we're living in it in present day. Therefore, everything that can be shaken will be shaken 
this last time until only the unshakable remains. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's not just referring to what's happening in 2022. That's referring to everything that happened from the death of Christ to this very moment. All of the created order is being shaken so that one day there will only remain, that is the coming of the Lord Jesus, when he establishes his eternal kingdom, the only thing that will remain will, that which is, will be that which is unshakable. Now, it's unshakable to us now in the present kingdom. It's in our hearts. But there's coming a day when everything that's created will be shaken and it'll be an eternal kingdom. That's the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. But what I want us to see is that in the midst of this weird kind of passage and talking about the shaking of everything that's been created until it's all gone and only that which is unshakable remains, in the midst of this, there is a word that I want us to connect to, and that's the word, since we know this, we worship God and reverence Him. In reverence and awe, we worship God. So today, we're coming in our series, Whatever Happened to Virtue, to the Virtue of Reverence. Now, let me just uh, catch you up just a little bit. We started this series, I did several times ago, from 2 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 5, where the scripture says, uh, add to your faith, virtue, and to your virtue, knowledge. And in that introductory message, Whatever Happened to Virtue was the title of it, I introduced to you the fact that virtue is right there between faith and knowledge. And virtue actually precedes knowledge. In other words, it's more important that once we come to faith that we be virtuous than it is for us to know all kinds of doctrine. Now, that's not to minimize knowing doctrine. That's very important. But it is to maximize how important it is to understand being virtuous in our character when we say we are believers. Does that make sense? Amen. And then we looked at the first virtue we chose to uh, examine, and that was the virtue of courage. We took it first because we said it's going to take a lot of courage to add any kind of virtue to our faith. It's going to take a lot of courage to do anything that's of the Christian life. So courage was the first virtue we looked at. Then we looked at the virtue of honesty. And we saw that honesty is not so much a matter of our words, although they need to be exact and precise, but honesty, real honesty, is a matter of the heart. Okay? And then we looked at... Uh, last week at the thing called diligence. And that is finishing a task without delays and, and so on and so forth. We add to our faith diligence. We add to our faith uh, uh, honesty. We add to our faith courage. Well, today we're going to talk about adding to our faith reverence. Now, I want to begin this morning by mentioning something that's going to sound a little bit odd. And it's going to take me all morning to straighten it out. And here's what I want to say. 
my personal reverence, and of course you can apply it to you, your personal reverence, our personal reverence as Christians, our reverence of God creates a respect in us towards other people that allows them to do some things that are uh, different than we are. But we don't get upset about it. We don't write them off because of it. In other words, when I have a genuine respect for who God is and value him, I'm going to value other people even if they're different than I am. Now, what difference are we talking about? Well, we can talk about a whole lot of things. By the way, can I correct one thing on the notes so you'll know? At the top, uh, your note says, the reason for reverence. Oh, that's terrible. I did it. They didn't. I did it. But that's terrible. I looked at that and oh, I made a mistake. The word the, the definite article, makes this sound like this is the most important thing. No, put the word one or put the letter, uh, the, the letter A, a reverence, uh, a reason for reverence, or I like better, one reason for reverence. There may be a ton of reasons for us to want to be reverent people and reverence God in our life, but I want to deal with just one this morning, and it's really an unusual one, okay? And here it is. If I personally reverence God, it creates in me a respect for other people to the extent that when they do some things, we can call them human things. It won't matter to me. I won't get upset about it. They're just different than I am. For example, in your notes, the first one I use as an illustration of this is manners. Now, manners are, are a human thing. You know that. Uh, you've never seen a dog use napkins. Have you, anybody has a dog uses a napkin after he's eaten? No. You know. He eats it. By the way, I, yeah, I read this morning that millennials don't use napkins either. Millennials, uh, uh, napkin sales are going way down because millennials would rather use their sleeve or wipe their hands on. Now, this is what the article in Newsweek said. I mean, it's just a characteristic of the millennial generation. I don't doubt it. They're a little bit weird. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying. But manners are different with different people. When I went to Indonesia to do a conference for a bunch of missionaries there and teach the tabernacle, I was uh, told that they have certain customs or manners in Indonesia you want to be careful about. For instance, in Indonesia, you don't cross your legs, so your foot shows. Because the bottom of the feet for people in Indonesia is an insult to them. If they see the bottom of your foot uh, placed in front of them, they see the feet as having to do with honor and respect. When God puts under his feet all nations, it means all nations will honor and respect. When uh, this guy from uh, Iraq, when the statue fell, remember the people ran, slammed their shoes on it? Because that's to them dishonoring him by putting the soles of their feet, their shoes, on that statue. And so when you go to Indonesia, their part of their manner system is you don't cross your legs and put the bottom of your feet up. And by the way, 
in Chile, uh, in China, I'm told, I've never been there, uh, but in China, it's polite and okay to burp after a meal. In fact, that's a compliment to the cook. It's also a manner in China, I'm told, that you ought to leave a little bit of food on the plate because that, what that says is, oh, you fed me more than enough. Well, if, and if I go uh, to Indonesia, I'm going to honor that manner, it, although it doesn't mean anything to me, but I'm going to respect them enough that I'm going to okay with their manners. You see what I'm saying? And the same thing if I were to go to China. I'd leave a little bit of food on my plate, you see? Then I used the illustration of this uh, about music. Uh, music is simply a human thing. Now, I know dogs bark, geese honk, and cows moo. And I also know that animals make sounds like birds and whales make sounds we call singing. But there's no animal that compares to the music that comes from the mind and the spirit of the human being, okay? And so, really, music is just a real kind of a human thing. I'm a connoisseur, for instance, of 50s music. I don't know how anybody can't love 50s music. It's got a story to it. Some of the sweetest stories. I used to sing a song, uh, To the Isle. The flamingos sang it. I used to sing it to Mary all the time. When a boy and a girl meet each other, and they, you know, oh, that's one of my favorite songs. You know, she thinks I'm a little silly for thinking that because it's a dumb song. But, you know, it's just, I'm a connoisseur. I love 50s music. Anybody here with me on 50s music? Oh, good, good. You're intelligent people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually, I like a little country and western. Alan Jackson's my favorite. Vince Gill's my second favorite. I love those guys. But I love Andrea Bocelli. When Mary and I play hand and foot, any of you all play hand and foot? Okay, Mary and I play hand and foot. And when we play hand and foot, we turn on Sear, we turn Andre Bocelli on. He plays the entire time we play hand and foot. We never fail to listen to Andre Bocelli when we're playing hand and foot. Uh, and it's really, you know, it's operatic music, and it's great. I, you know, I love all kinds of music, except halftime at Super Bowls. <laughs> now, now, okay, okay, I got it. They call it music. I don't. I mean, it does not register on the scale of music for me. But look, if they enjoy, if they, who's they? Anybody different than me. If they enjoy halftime at Super Bowl, so be it. I'll respect them. You know, I still won't call it music necessarily, but I'll respect that. I understand that, sell things and all that kind of thing. But I'm illustrating to you that when you have reverence for God in your life, it will create a respect and appreciation for people who are totally different than you are. That's true of modern art. Modern art, somebody says, I don't like modern art. What does it mean? Well. That's the thing about modern art. It means anything you want it to mean. When you look at it, it means anything you want it to mean. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of stuff where they take four trash cans and uh, write the word which stands for, for unlawful carnal knowledge across the side. I'm not talking, that's pornography. You understand what, I'm talking about modern art. Some people like it, some people don't. But that's just a human thing. But I respect people who have different tastes in manners and in music and in modern art than, than I do. But you, 
respect has to do with our appreciation of other people exactly where they are. Now listen carefully to what I want to say to you. Because of my reverence for God, I will respect other people's views of manners, music, modern art, even though they're different than mine. Reverencing God, now here it is, will destroy a mean-spirited, ill-mannered, angry attitude and atmosphere between peoples and nations and even races. Have you ever watched a TV show where they make the minister, you know, this Christian minister or this Christian congregation out to be the stupidest people you've ever seen? A bunch of idiots, you know, a bunch of hate mongers, hateful people. Do you understand that anybody who uh, promotes hatred and promotes uh, uh, wounding and hurting people who are different than are they uh, is, is the antithesis of Christianity. It's the exact opposite of Christianity. Because only genuine Christians are able to respect. You see, we'll see in a moment that the word reverence has the idea of respect in it. So that we reverence God and that causes a respect in us for other people uh, different than us, but we respect them because of our relationship with the living God. Do you understand that being a racist is the exact opposite of what being a Christian is all about? They are totally... Uh, anti-opposed. They're opposed to each other. They're anti to each other. Racism, hatred of ethnic groups in the mind and the heart of an individual is a sign and a signal they do not understand what it is to reverence God himself as worthy and have all for him. Why? Because when we reverence God, we begin to develop an attitude of respect an acceptance of people who are different than we are. Now, not because we agree with what they think or we agree with what they do, but because we know by their created order who they are in terms of created the image of God, need the message of Christ, therefore we will never refuse to embrace someone and share the message with them. So that anti-racist, uh, is an anti-Christian thing. Uh, being against a certain ethnic group is an anti-Christian thing. I don't care whether it's America or Africa. It's contrary to the message of Christ. That's what the word reverence, we're going to see in a minute before we're finished, why it's in Hebrews 12. That's what it's talking about. Now, all right, this means then that to reverence God brings into the fiber and the fabric of life an acceptance of people who are different than are we. And that's okay. So first of all, I want us to look at what I'm calling a definition of reverence. If, this, if what I'm saying, if my premise is correct, then we need to understand what reverence is. If what I'm saying is true, that when we truly reverence God, it flows through us to a thing of being able to respect people who are totally different than we are, no matter the color of their skin, their ethnic uh, 
uh, origin or their religious belief system. We're able to love them. That's the only way the scripture can mean anything when it says, love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. How can we do that? Because we reverence the reality of God. We're able to respect people, even those who would do hurt and harm to us. Now, this is a tall order, and it's why it takes the Holy Spirit for it to be a reality in our lives. So let's look, first of all, at the definition of reverence. In the scripture, reverence is, first of all, a noun. And it means a veneration of profound awe and respect. There it is. The Greek word for reverence, the noun, means an attitude of veneration. You know what that is. Holding in high esteem and awe who God really is. All right? And we respect his position as God in our life. That's where respect for other people come in. With that same reverence for God, not the same making them higher than him, but because we see him for who he really is, we're able to respect people who are totally different, no matter their manners, their music, or whether they like modern art or not, or any other thing that makes them different. And so it's a noun. Having an attitude of reverence causes us to act different, but that's the next uh, thing I'm going to show you about the word reverence. For instance, uh, if we were in the presence of the queen in England, uh, man, they act different in the presence of the queen. Why? Because they reverence her. They have a sense of awe about her. So they walk from her presence, never turning their back on her until they're out of her sight. You see? Now, we don't have kings and queens in America. We're egalitarians. I thank the Lord for it. But the problem is, the same thing is true of the kingdom of God. See, Christ is king of this supernatural kingdom that we're a part of. So when we reverence him as king, it will cause us to act differently. We may bow our heads, close our eyes when we pray. You don't have to because it's not commanded in Scripture, but it's an attitude of reverence. You may fold your hands when you pray, but the point I'm making is it goes beyond that. It will even move to respecting other people who are totally different than we are. Now, the second thing I'll notice, the word reverence is a verb. Now, we know that the noun is a part of speech which refers to a person, place, or thing, and an action verb is a part of speech which indicates action. So the noun used for reverence is referring to the attitude. And the word reverence, when it's a verb in the New Testament, is talking about how we act. This attitude creates an action toward God and others that we can only describe as being reverential toward them. Now hear me well here. It creates certain actions of reverence toward him, but it also creates a certain 
reverence or respect is a better word toward others. For instance, in the Ten Commandments, what's the first commandment? You'll have no other, no other gods before me. Uh, next, create no, uh, no created image of me. In other words, reverence me as the only God. But what follows? Honor, father, mother, respect the spouse of another person so that no adultery is done. Do you, do you see? The law showed. Then in the New Testament, that's us, when Jesus as our Messiah has written his law in our heart, it, it isn't written as a don't do. It's now written as because we are loved, we love. Because we are forgiven, we forgive. And because we respect him, we respect others. Are you following me here? So that if you really respect God, it will always impact how you are with other people. And if there's hatred and dishonesty and so on, then you're not really respecting God. See how it's connected. I'm watching your face. I'm trying to read your eyes. Are you getting it, what I'm talking about? Okay, follow me carefully here. There's another, uh, uh, that's the definition of, rev of, of reverence. I want us to look at the distinctives of reverence. The distinctives of reverence. Now, by distinctives, I mean this, having an appealing quality. In other words, there are some qualities that are drawn to reverence. When you begin to look at certain qualities, it's like looking at the flip side of the coin. Here's reverence, head, and here's this quality, tail. They go together. For instance, reverence is connected to maturity. Reverence is connected to maturity. Now, if you agree with me in this, there's something almost childish about politics going on right now. There's something almost childish about the media that's going on now. There's so much childishness. For instance, and I've given you some characteristics of childishness, uh, emotional outbursts. Children often cry, get mad, uh, become petulant and pouty. Grown-ups don't. Well, maybe we do. <laughs> Infants or children... When things go wrong, they blame someone. Grown-ups don't do that. Well, maybe we do, yeah. Where there are situations where children might lie to out of, stay out of trouble, they're going to tell a lie rather than get in trouble. Uh, Grown-ups seldom do that. Are you following me here? Name-calling. Have you noticed how little kids call each other names? Adults don't do that. Well, <laughs> bullying. A child physically larger can walk up to another child playing with a toy and just simply take it from them. Adults don't do that. Well, you see what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm not so sure, but what we're facing, a lot of childishness.
the blaming, the lying, the name calling, the bullying, the shaming, all of that. Why? Now listen carefully to me. I think the scripture would indicate it's because we've lost a respect, reverence for who God really is. You see, it's a genuine reverence for God that creates in us an ability to respect and appreciate others, though they may be totally different than we. And when we don't, as adults, we don't respect people and we start being angry, hateful because of race, uh, vengeful because of actions, hurtful to other people getting even. What's an indication of? That we don't love people? No. That we don't like other people's races? No. It's really indicative of the fact that we don't know what it is to reverence who God really is. Because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if the scripture's true, and I believe it is, when we reverence God, our attitude of life, reverencing him as real in my life, the source of everything that's right and good and so on, it will cause actions that are reverent to other people. Actions that are respectful and non-damaging to other people. Well, what we're seeing here is reverence is connected to maturity. But reverence is also connected with humility. Listen to this. Uh, the scripture says, esteem others more highly than you do yourselves. Esteem others more highly than you do yourselves. Now, I think that is a challenge to our present day attitude of flippancy. We have such a spirit of flippancy today. I never will forget. I accepted pastor of a church my first week on the field. One of the staff members was leading, was leaving. And Mary and I were there. We weren't, didn't really know anybody. And, well, the staff had brought, brought the church together on Wednesday night, and they, they, they did a roasting. And they roasted him. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Don Rickles style of dishonoring words about another person. I was stunned, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't say anything. I had no business saying anything right then. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. But it wasn't long until I brought our staff together, and Mary remember this, in our home. And I shared with them how delighted we are to be here, how wonderful it is to be here, but how from this moment forward, we will never have a roast for anyone. If we're going to speak words to someone, it will be words that honor and respect and encourage. Now you say, but Brother Paul, they're just trying to be fun. No, you don't understand. It shows more of a lack of understanding true reverence than it does anything else. 
the true reverence of who God is. And it impacts how we relate to other people. Now you see why I can say uh, this thing about racism. Same kind of thing. How can one speak words like that? How can they? If they genuinely reverence God for who God really, really is. And so reverence is connected to humility. Reverence is connected to maturity. And finally, reverence is connected to spirituality. True spirituality has a sense of reverence about it. Now, I'm not talking about stuffiness. I'm not talking about using lingo. I don't like Christianese. I don't use Christian lingo that makes everybody around me think I'm spiritual and they wonder what in the world I'm talking about. I just don't, I just, that's just not my cup of tea. You understand what I'm saying? We don't have to, we don't have to baptize it in all this Christian stuff. Now you say, but Brother Paul, that's just the way we talk. It's the way you talk. I don't want to talk. I want to talk so people who are normal and natural understand what I'm saying. Okay? Now I'm going to use certain things like righteousness. But when I talk about righteousness, I don't want to say, oh, God's made me righteous. You know what that word righteous means? Ought to be. That's what it means in the Greek language. Righteous means ought to be. And so when Jesus saved me, He's in the business of making me what I ought to be. <laughs> now, I already stand as what I ought to be in the presence of God. I stand righteous. Now he wants me to be what I ought to be in my life, ethically, and morally, and so on. Are you, are you seeing? So I, I think we, as God's people, spirituality is not a lingo. Spirituality is a... Uh, is a seeing of the worth of God, the value of God. And because of that, he impacts me to see the worth and the value of every human being, even if they're totally different than I am. So that I may not agree with what they do. I may not agree with what they say, but I'm not scared of being thought as one who loves them. I want to be seen as someone who loves them. You understand what I'm saying? I have my standard. I believe the biblical standards about certain things. But I want to reverence people, and I mean respect people, in a natural flow from my understanding what it is to reverence God and Jesus as king of my life. Now, I want to read this to you. I wrote it down, and I can't say it the way I, I wrote it, so I'll just... Read you what I wrote so we'll understand the writing. Okay? Disrespect is rampant. Everything's falling apart. It appears that, as our text said, everything around us is being shaken, and the only thing that will remain is the unshakable kingdom of God. So, what does God say to us in this terrible moment when everything is being shaken? Well, just learn to. Look to me and reverence me. See me as worthy. See me with an attitude of awe. So that in those rough times when everything's falling apart, you will be a beacon of what it means 
to relate to people out of love and respect and value. But it'll never happen until we're committed to seeing reverence be part of the virtue of our life by which we're to live. May God give us a baptism of reverence in our hearts and in our minds. Now, if you didn't understand what I just said, I'll start all over. And we'll go through it again. Do you understand how this is not easy to say? I don't even know how to say it. I know what it is. But putting it in language that's understandable, that means something to me, it's been difficult. I practiced on Mary a couple of times this week. And she'd say, and what now? So I'd say it again. So, okay, I'm asking you, babe. Okay, that's what I needed. Thumbs up. All right. See, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. As long as I made it, Mary is my go-to gal in all these kinds of situations. Okay. Listen, you are a wonderful group to speak to. Steve loves this group, and we love him. Uh, and my, I'm so glad to have a guy like that. Every time I come, he opens the book, says something that's so meaningful to me and good for me, and I'm grateful for that. I have one more in this series and it's what I call uh, the virtue of love. So the next time he has to be gone and I feel asked to fill in for him, we'll finish this series and it'll be the last of the virtues. But you have been gracious. Any question before we go? All right, let me pronounce the benediction on all of us. Uh, shake five hands, hug five necks before you go, and if you don't, you lose your salvation. <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? Greet people. Yeah, I'm lying now. Greet people as you go. We'll see you down in the worship service. <laughs>